As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. going everybody this is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Mark Rigg also from The Athletic you are listening to Beyond the Scrum a show about baseball Mark how's it going doing all right doing all right Andy that's great hey the playoffs are here <laughs> they are here and so is How about third that? chair oh yes we have America's third <laughs> Mike is in the building he was only uh 26 minutes late that's all it's Evan Drellick America's reporter some of us are actually doing reporting. I was on a very important phone call. Mm. I'm sorry. Yes, some of some of us scheduled their reporting based around this chunk of time we agreed upon. Thank you, you know, for you, coming on. You know, we're beggars, Evan. though, right? When, whenever one of these executives <laughs> or people is actually willing to deign us That's with true. a little bit of their charity, we, we have to jump and, and uh, grovel. So. Th- that is true. I sent a message to an executive the other day asking if he had time to talk, and he responded 12 hours later with just, sounds boring. <laughs> <laughs> and I just was like, you know, like, yeah. I, I'm just so tired of debasing myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> just like, what is this existence? You know what I mean? There, there are uh, industries where there is less acrimony, but we can, we can talk about those types of we things. We did talk. We, you and I texted about this the other day, just how nice it would be to just not feel acrimonious towards people all the time. I worked anyway. in a flower shop when I was younger. I missed those days. Yes. I buy that. I buy you that. did. You're a flower salesman? I was I was more of a behind the scenes guy, you know, kind of washing oh. the buckets. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Alstroemeria. Oh, nice. I love Fighting flowers. with the customers. I, I like that. <laughs> I like flowers. Hey, speaking of the customer always being right or something, I don't know. Uh, Major League Baseball is going to have fans in the stands in the LCS in Arlington as well as in the World Series. That's why we had Evan on because he wrote a very interesting story this week about that. Phenomenon. We're also going to talk a little bit about the the Yankees and Rays series, and we might get into some uh, you know Astros sort of uh, uh, think piecery. But uh, first, let's Evan. What is going on with fans in the stands, and and what did you sort of explore in the story you wrote today, or it came out yesterday, I guess. The and this is somewhat credit to you, Andy, as you as you know, you know you you would observe that Arlington was. And that area was, was seeing an uptick in cases. So that ended up being the way I, I thought it made sense to frame the story is 
what what is the impact of having a World Series and an LCS with fans in an area where COVID is now making it reasserting itself? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answers weren't entirely satisfactory. There are multiple health bodies that are involved here. There's the county, Tarrant County is where the Ranger Stadium is. And then there's also a city of Arlington health body. City of Arlington, n- neither of these bodies would, would give me an interview. Not, neither of these uh, municipal organizations would, would, would provide somebody to speak with. The county said, yeah, we have the resources to do this, to handle this. Uh, the city gave less of an, of an answer. They basically referred back to MLB and to the Rangers. But I talked to a doctor in Houston whose whole point was, if you MLB yourself are not going to do contact tracing, by the fact that you're going to have people flying in, you're probably going to see an uptick in cases. You're bringing in a whole other group mm-hmm. of people into an area where there's already a, a rise in cases. If MLB is not going to count cases after the fact themselves, which they're not, the league said they're not going to do that, uh, then you're potentially stressing your local public health system. And this is a local public health system that is already undergoing some level of stress. Is that smart? Is that wise? I, you know, pr- it's probably not ideal. Is it going to happen? Yeah, it certainly sounds like it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this on, we kind of had a shorter pod uh, last week, but you were talking about the, the concept that this is effectively an advertisement for season ticket holders for 2021. Um, do you still sort of see that? I mean, does that, that, that seems to be the biggest reason why this is happening, right? It's not to, you know, make the environment cooler in the World Series. It's, you know, it's not to, you know, uh, have those specific fans get in there. But it seems like it's designed to project normalcy for next year when there's really no way to predict normalcy. Yeah, and that's going off of the commissioner's own words. So I believe the first mm-hmm. time this became public was when he spoke at Hofstra, and I ended up writing about it. And the, 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 So his first publicly <clears throat> issued comments on this pointed to that very thing, that we want to uh, kind of signal to people that this is okay, that, that you're, you're able to go back into the stands. That's a paraphrasing of, of the exact quote, but that was the gist of, of his explanation, the commissioner's own explanation. And since then including in the story I wrote that went live yesterday, MLB has said that there are people that, that want to do this. We believe we can do this safely and all these other uh, factors. But if, if you're trying to understand, like, why do this, it's not because they're going to make so much money off of postseason ticket sales. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most money uh, I think individual seats are going for is like 450 each, I believe, uh, in the World Series. And then I think they're, they're selling suites separately, I believe. But, yeah, it, it's got to be a longer-term messaging. Hey, come back to baseball. Because the commissioner also said in this Hofstra thing, if you don't have people in the stands next year, it, the business is going to look different. And, and already this winter, after this one year, we don't know what's going to happen, but there's a lot of ominous speculation about mm-hmm. employees, player spending. Uh, is MLB going to try to get player pay cuts again for next year? You know, the, 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 Who knows? And also, who knows what the state of the virus is going into 21. Were you surprised at this response that you got? I think it was from a spokesman. And, and the point was, and I'll paraphrase this, that you're never going, like, you know, the, the, the virus isn't eradicated. But at some point, you've got to kind of get back to it, essentially. Um, were you surprised to hear that? Because I, I think 
and I think it was actually pointed out in the story too. It, it just that feels like a bit of a straw man from from here. But like, what what was your take on on that response in that story? So that's the highest level of discussion that's kind of omnipresent across anything in society right now: to do it or to not do it based on uh, the risk. So that specific quote you're talking about uh, from Major League Baseball, uh, I presented it to a uh, a doctor who. Um, Zach Benny, who's an, uh, I'm going to say this word wrong, Epidem- epidemiologist? How do, how do, epidemiologist. Say, uh, say it again. Epidemiologist. Epidemiologist, thank you. It's been a long day. Um, Are you okay, Drells? I, I told you this, got off a two-hour phone call. Uh, epide- <laughs> <laughs> an epidemiologist, Zach Benny. Yay, got it. At, at, uh, at Emory. And he said exactly that, that he thought this was a straw man, that uh, that that's not the that's not the point of the discussion. Um, that MLB was just doing this for its own operational gain. That, that that's why they're doing it. And then I, I talked to this doctor in Houston, Dr. Michael Chang, who had essentially a little bit more of a, of, of a sympathetic view to MLB, which is mm-hmm. that you're going to see people doing new new things that they used to do right i mean the the people are going to venture out there they want to venture out there and so then the question becomes mitigation and you know dr benny the one who who was more critical of it his whole point was i'm not saying people shouldn't do things they enjoy they they should be able to go to the beach uh you know open air parks his objection is to say that you shouldn't be lotting in a ten thousand person stadium event into things like that that that's different and the risk level is different with that well you can have an extra 10,000 people inside a bubble it's not a bubble Andy oh that's right that's right it's a golf course um one thing so when you talk about sort of risk mitigation right um so they're not going to be doing contact tracing right uh they're selling these tickets in four four person pods correct yeah, so, so what they said about contact tracing was if there is something that the health authorities need, they will try to help out after the fact. As far okay. as how MLB is going to mitigate uh, for the person who's actually going to attend the games, yeah, you're sitting mm-hmm. in a four-person pod. And one of the questions I asked is, well, wouldn't it – and so these are four seats next to each other. Wouldn't it make more sense to have a seat in between? And MLB is basically – not basically. They, they are assuming uh, that – the people who are going to go to the games together and sit in one pod are going to know each other and essentially be exposed to each other. Uh, and that is a bit but of an assumption they, because what Yeah, if, are they doing anything to monitor like the secondary ticket market? I haven't I didn't directly ask that question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but my guess is that there isn't going to be some sort of checkpoint on the way in about you know, do you, yeah, do you, like, are you guys spending time with each other, right? All right. Like, who's this person's uncle? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because if you think about it, so like I saw the other day that I believe all the World Series tickets are sold out already. Um, I believe the Dallas Morning News reported that. Uh, so that would stand to reason that they have been purchased by the sort of people who purchase tickets very quickly and then potentially resell them. I could be wrong about that. But uh, that is my understanding of capitalism. Um, so, I, 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 I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know what the enforcement what is the- on all ends here is. Is an interesting question. So MLB is willing to throw people out if they are not wearing masks. You are supposed to be wearing a mask okay. the entire time you're in there. 
um, except if you're eating or drinking. If there's a repeat violation, the league said to me that they will they will toss somebody out. But the people who are to be monitoring this, as, as it was explained, are, are Rangers game day staff. I didn't ask the league this, but it does occur to me. You know, these are probably, uh, you know, they're essentially ushers. Are, are ushers trained for this and potentially for the level of conflict that could develop yeah. if you have somebody walk in there who's bent on, uh, you know, causing a problem granted there's always security at these games and they, they catch people who run on the field so if somebody wants to walk, walk around without a mask presumably they will grab them but the level of enforcement is a question they're not going to do temperature checks temperature checks the efficacy of those see that's a word i can pronounce there you go it's kind of in question or at least you're not likely to catch many people with, with temperature checks. What they might serve to do, though, is create a deterrent where if somebody was thinking like, yeah, I'll go out there, even though I'm not feeling great, maybe that person will be more likely to stay home if they know their temperature is going to be checked. They're going to have concessions and merchandise stands open. So that's moving around. Uh, and and mm-hmm. this Houston doctor I spoke with was like, I'd be more comfortable if you didn't do that, if you just mm-hmm. had people stay in their seats. And you could come up with a food delivery service. I actually, of all the answers MLB gave me, and they were responsive eventually, so I'll give them credit on that front. But, but of all the responses they gave me, the one that was most amusing was saying, we don't want people to go without food for three or four hours. And it's like, well, yeah, but... Well, that's nice. You could have them, you, they could bring in a snack. You could have some sort of delivery system to the seat. The suggestion is not that they would have to go without food for three or four hours. And look, I mean, let's be honest too. Like, how could you expect these fans to go three to four hours without thunder sticks or other team merchandise, officially branded team merchandise? That that's a lot to ask of these folks. Very reasonably priced, I'm sure. Now, so here's the thing. Like, I know Evan that you are not an epidemiologist, but you have followed, you know, these developments from the jump. I mean. We were talking about a world, by the way, in which, you know, reporters are having to sign waivers to go into the ballpark at the start of the season. Okay, Uh, given the context of what that was early in the year to now, are are you surprised that that baseball's gotten to this point where there's going to be fans, or I don't know, did you kind of see that coming or anticipate they would push for this even in the early days where there was a lot more uncertainty? It's become very clear to me that baseball uh, as an entity, so meaning the commissioner's office and kind of these high-level decision makers, so we can allot the owners into that, they, they take their cues and their, their set of standards from what they see happening around them. And there are others. So the NFL is city to city and situation to situation, right? I, I think that for better or I, I would wager in some cases for worse – Guides are thinking in a lot of cases. Well, are other people in, who are in comparable positions in our in our general industry, sports entertainment, doing this? Okay, so we can do it too. I I, I don't think that the, this group leading baseball, and maybe you could argue perhaps this never existed, but you know that the, they're kind of thinking exceptionally here, where where the question is not um, what what should we do, it's well, what is being done uh, already? Because if, if, the, if the question is, what should we do? It's, it's a very different discussion. And for the amount yeah. of times that I hear people point out to me uh, that, well, look what this other 
set of people is doing. And, and I just don't know that it matters. I, I, I don't know. If the question is what is best practice for health, I could not care less personally what the NFL is doing. What does it matter? The best yeah. practice is determined by doctors and epidemiologists. Did I get it right this time? You, you nailed it. That's very impressive. So, that's very impressive. But we kind of that's like, how they, they make they, their decisions, I think. They threw out the what should we do question, you know, months ago. I mean, like that you know, when they agreed to play this season in the manner that it was played, like that was a strategy that involved a significant amount of risk and a lot of stuff went wrong. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how major league baseball talks about this season when it's completed, you know, if uh, like, hopefully we make it through <laughs> the postseason without sort of any outbreaks. I would, I would bet on that happening at this point, but like, I think presenting this season as a success is uh, a pretty simplistic sort of, uh, 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 what's the word? Uh, pretty, pretty simplistic judgment, I guess, given so all the things that have gone wrong in, in the process, I guess. But I, I don't know. I mean, like, there's no, we're not going to have nuance here. <laughs> like, it's just going to be like either, you know, it's just going to be presented as a, as a ringing success. Yeah, but nuance, unfortunately, is, is all I do. So I, I, I broached this conversation. <laughs> That's what we happened when we lost you on sports media. You were too good at the business of baseball. <laughs> oh, too good. <laughs> Couldn't keep up with Martian. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the question of, of whether they, so did they succeed or were they lucky? Right, that that's kind of the basic question. I think it's here. both. I, I think it's both. I think it's both too. I I, I yeah. think I, I because to say simply they were lucky would discredit or not give enough credit to the the mitigation efforts and, and kind of how yeah. seriously it does seem that they tried to take the protocols. Right, like if they didn't do that, probably they would have outright failed. Uh, and yet there's mm-hmm. still that element of like, did you get away with it a little bit? I think so. You know, because yeah. at the end of the day, the whole plan was premised on you go until you can't. So you're basically saying until someone gets hospitalized with a serious illness, we will play. And nobody got hospitalized with a serious illness, but but still that proposition. But is that's not that's not unsettling. true. Guys got hospitalized. In, uh, connected to the league that I'm not remembering. You think Carlos Martinez get hospitalized? During I mean, the Eduardo season Rodriguez or, pro- or, pro- or prior? During the season. During the outbreak. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, like, <clears throat> I don't remember I think, the Carlos Martinez situation, honestly. I don't. Well, yeah, because what? What do you think they're going to come and put out a press release about it? Good point. I mean, like, I, I think I think you're right. I think the players and the staffers and the coaches all deserve uh, like incredible amounts of credit for the way that uh, they either took things seriously from the start or figured it out very quickly. I think the league deserves credit for changing the protocols not even so much the like you know some of the eyewash about like oh we go oh, we really got to have no high fives guys like seriously no high fives but the actual thing they did was they had a quicker trigger finger on postponing games i think that is the thing that actually prevented outbreaks with future positive with you know positive tests um at the same time they yes they got very lucky <laughs> yes they got very lucky that there was no you know cross team t- transmission between the Marlins and the uh and the Phillies or between you know the Cardinals and the Brewers yes i mean it, multiple things can be true 
Right. Just because the 12 year old was able to successfully drive the car doesn't mean you should let the 12 year old drive the car again. <laughs> right. And that's, and like, again, I, I, I am genuinely impressed with how the players comported themselves to get through this. I think it was an, like talking to, to some guys about this year, it, it, it sounds like it was a, a legitimately, um, you know, like a high wire act that was very difficult. And I give them credit. Like, I think they deserve, the, if, if you're going to talk about, you know, how that got through this, you need to look at the, the labor force who, you know, changed their habits in order to basically keep everyone safe. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. <laughs> All right, now that we've praised the players, Kariggs Kariggs going to go rip a player. Hey, what uh, what happened with the Yankees last night, Mark? <laughs> well, the Yankees lost the ball game, and uh, and they lost the ball game because they decided to come up with this pitching plan that is using an opener just like the Rays did, except it it failed miserably uh, because one could argue that they. Um, you know, didn't deploy their pitchers properly. And in this case, that would be Davey Garcia and the left-hander Jay Happ, who um, didn't seem very happy with the pitching plan. And my response to that was, you're Jay Happ, get guys out um, when you're asked to get guys out. So like, that's the long and short of it. Um, you know, in New York, it's a big deal right now. Like it's, uh, you know, it, it, the city gets fun when people get kind of uh you know, go crazy about something. And last night had all the ingredients, right? Like you have this boogeyman that is the Yankees analytics department. You've got Aaron Boone, who's everybody's favorite pinata. And it's the Yankees <clears throat> losing a playoff game um, to a really good team, by the way. Right. right? Like, I mean, they got right. beat by a really good team, but um, that doesn't seem to matter here. As Evan on a, on a night when they struck out, what, 45 times, 50 yes. times? Uh, I, I can't remember. Only I 18 track. times. Um, yeah, okay. You know, only 18 strikeouts last night, eight of them on three pitches. Um, yeah, like, so it's, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to rip a player, <clears throat> Andy, uh, but I think certainly, uh, you know, Jay Happ, uh, I don't think represented himself particularly well on the mound and after the game. Um, but that could be said for all of them, you know, Aaron Boone, the organization, all of them. Just didn't yeah, seem what like I this know is a plan. How can an organization like the Yankees that is obviously forward thinking and obviously does a really good job in a lot of ways? I know you and Eno wrote that great story a couple years ago about how they invented the home run um, that everyone really liked. Uh, I guess what – but like they're a forward thinking organization, right? Like how is everyone not on the same page? Like how does that happen in game two of the ALDS where everyone's not – like where where they can there can be a situation afterwards where there's a disconnect. That seems like really odd to me. Well, yeah, I think, yeah. No, go ahead, Drills. I want to hear this. I mean, I'm basically writing a writing a book that's you know somewhere between 33 and 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 42 percent or even higher about buy-in. Right, it's a book uh, about the Astros. Great point. Yep. Um, so the, Andy, I think is nailing it. What were the discussions that were had beforehand? 
if indeed Hap had expressed a level of discomfort with it, did, what, A, did he directly express it? And B, did they then sit there and go, well, his discomfort is not going to ultimately have an effect on the actual performance? Uh, did, they, did they just throw that out the window? Because there are plenty of instances where guys didn't like playing in the shift, but in the end, right. presumably, right. They, they, they had uh, some gain, gain from it. So I, I, it might be some time before we actually know the, the behind-the-scenes ma- ma- machina- machinations or machinations? I think it's machinations. Actually. I think it's mac, yeah. Yeah. Hard CH? I think it is, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, we could be all for three, but I'm going to go with what you said. Yeah, so that's what I really w- would want to know is whether whether a Hap expressed how he was going to feel about it beforehand, and and b whether they just decided to s- doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, so that's that that when Andy talks, like that's a, the question, right? Originally, like what? Why is it that this happens with a team that's so forward thinking? Um, that, that was the point I wanted to make too. Buy in, like you you still have to be able to communicate with guys. You still have to get them to believe that the structure works. And I think this is an interesting place because unlike a small market, there's always going to be really loud, large pushback uh, about anything that's different. And it, and I can, I, it's almost like when you turn on a playoff baseball game and the announcers are on there and they're kind of pissing on the product, right? <laughs> like home runs suck. This is terrible. I love that. Like, I mean, I, they get to piss on the so product funny. for three hours a night. It's so funny. So it's like, so if you're the Yankees, right? Like, like it's the same kind of idea. Like they want to be forward thinking. They've done a lot of things that work, but the second something does not work around here, it's like a five alarm fire. And the people leading the charge is like the yes network or (laughs) (laughs) the radio people. Like, like, like it's the people calling the games. It's the media that covers them every day. Like, and, and let me be clear, that's not to say they shouldn't be critical when they think it's worth it. I think, you know, I have great respect for all the people that do the work around the team. I think they're good, okay, like I, and all that. But I think it is funny that they're also the first to lead the charge when something falls apart like this. So I think it does speak to, um, to Evan's point, right? Like it, clearly the communication part of this needs to get better. Um, you know, Jay Happ made it clear that like, he – didn't like this, didn't care for it. And look, this is a guy who was acting like this last season too, by the way, when, when he was bumped from the rotation and working out of the bullpen. Um, so, like, this is a veteran guy who, you know, I, I, and here's something, you know, last night, what's fun about watching playoff games, like, in this context is that, like, you can, like, be in touch with a bunch of people as you're doing it. So, like, mm-hmm. I was texting, like, executives and coaches and scouts and things like that all through the game last night. And one of them was, like, what's remarkable is that for all the Brainiac stuff you want to pull, sometimes it just comes down to ego and a 14-year veteran being sore that the start's going to a kid who's 21. And I think, actually, when you think look, look back at it, that to me explains a lot of what happened last night, too. Part of the buy-in issue is that this guy just did not like having to go be the bulk guy to some kid. And, and we've I mean, seen like, that. We've seen it all. Yeah, I mean, like, do, okay. Do we think that that is why a guy who gets paid a prorated $17 million didn't pitch well last night? Or did he just not pitch well and is just kind of pissed off about it well, afterwards? You know what? Here's the other thing. Like, great point. 
I think like this guy. I mean, like look, like Jay Happ has had a really good career. Yes, but he's, he's an effective pitcher. He's he was good this year in various increments, and they set him up in a position to face left-handed right. batters. Yeah, he didn't pitch well. I would assume that his poutiness afterwards is because he didn't like the role, but mostly because he got his head kicked in. Um, I would say it's both. Um, like you know what was telling last night. Like I don't know. You listen to enough Aaron Boone press conferences. Like, he would rather rip his arm off at the shoulder socket than say something negative about one of his players. Uh-huh. And when you heard him last night, there was a point where he's like, kind of in the middle of a bunch of stuff, and clearly on purpose. He goes, <clears throat> um, yeah, there were times where the fastball just didn't have enough zip or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, so, in context, that's about as like damning as Aaron Boone gets. And mm-hmm. he's right about that, by the way. Like, Jay Hap's had a hell of a career. He's a good major league pitcher, has been a good yeah. major league pitcher, but he's also at the back end of his career. He also doesn't have enough fastball left. The bottom line is he probably shouldn't be throwing innings this important. Uh, the Yankees got hurt, and then they didn't replace those guys, and now here they are. Um, it's a bad spot because when you look forward, Tanaka tonight, that's a proven, experienced guy. Um, something goes wrong there, though, and now you're facing a 2-1 deficit, and it's Jordan Montgomery in game four and a bunch of non-desirable options after that. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's all hands on deck. And then then Cole on short rest if you're lucky enough to make it to five in that scenario. And I don't think he's ever done that before. Do, so, you, do, you, do you... I'm cutting you off. Do you enjoy the opener from a fan consumption standpoint? Is it more it. enjoyable to watch a game as they did it last night or, or is it more enjoyable to have a standard billing of a, of a starting pitcher? I, I think it's clearly the latter. So, like, this is where I think... What sort of sicko enjoys the opener? Yeah. Well, seriously. the person who goes, it's it's strategy. It's, you know, the, 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 there are people who fetishize what strategy. What sort of sicko likes that? Yeah, I don't... I get it from a from a tactical standpoint. Absolutely. Like you can you can you can sell me on the tactics of it. I I, I think like there are situations where, um, you know, yeah, it might make some sense. But from like an aesthetic perspective, are you? Ugh. No, gross. Like and <laughs> it's that's awful. And the, the funny part is like when we go back to the original strategy of it. The Tampa Bay Rays start this two years ago. And you ask him why. And, like, and, and lost in the hysteria, by the way, of, oh, my God, they're changing the game. Everyone's going to be doing this. All they kept saying over and over again is, like, we're doing this because the personnel dictates it. Yeah. We don't have starting pitchers right now, okay, for various reasons. So we're going to have to figure it out. And this is a way to figure it out, okay? And, and, and I think it was Eric Neander telling me, like, if we had those guys, we'd be running them out there like everybody right. else. Right. So the fact that the Yankees – or running out an opener in the postseason isn't a, an aesthetic thing or whatever. Like it's a strategy thing born out of need. And the fact, by the way, that the Rays aren't right tells you something too. Like there, yeah. there, there is still something to having a good starting pitcher. Especially now we've got no off days until the World Series, right? Like that just becomes so much bigger. But from aesthetics, like I don't even think it's close. Like it, yeah. And, and I think that's why people like. You know, when I hear we're talking about the broadcasters and they piss all over the game and it's a home run suck and blah, blah, blah. Like, I get that. I actually do get that because aesthetically and like just from an old school perspective or like what you appreciate about the game, I'd rather watch Acuna put a ball in play and take an extra base. I'd, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's great, too. And to have too much of one, like, doesn't look that good. But like, it, it, you can't deny the fact that four is greater than one. 
right? Like home runs are good. And like from a, from a tactical standpoint, that is what you want. But yeah, like the question is Evan framed it, I think is, is, a, is a good one. And we end up having to talk about it a lot during the playoffs because aesthetically speaking, um, there's a lot of parts of the game that, you know, aren't as fun as they used to be, which is fine. But like it's, it's a different yeah. thing than like, is this good or not for your team, yeah. right? I mean, there was, there was like, in terms of like riveting theater, it is hard to find a better example than Game 7 of the World Series last year when Max Scherzer, who did not have much, he was coming off, I think, either a back or a neck injury, is facing, you know, the best offense in the world. And it's just basically, like, it's just, like, hold on to your ass every pitch, essentially. And, like, I remember watching that game thinking, like, I would have taken him out in the second inning. Like, with this, the, the first time George Springer came back up for a second at bat. Like, there's no way I'd let Scherzer face him. And Scherzer gives up a rocket, I think, into left field. It gets caught. And every inning after that is just, like, you know, pitch by pitch. It's just, it's, like, riveting drama, you know? And I think there's something for the consumer that is a lot more uh, appealing about watching that or watching you know, Kurt Schilling and Roger Clemens in Game 7 of the 2001 World Series versus, you know, starting with an opener and then going to a bolt guy and then, you know, matching up for the next three innings and then going to your closer. Like, I get why teams do it, but I think there's a huge difference, as Mark said, between doing it out of necessity and doing it um, when you think it's, like, when you have good options to start like the Dodgers have flirted with doing this you know for for some of their later games you know some of the games that would nominally be started by like Tony Gonsolin or uh, Julio Urias or you know Dustin May and I'm kind of just like I don't know why don't you just give them the baseball and see if they can get four or five innings like and maybe that makes me an idiot and that's why I'll never be a general manager you know but like I think I'm right it's you know (laughs) The, the one thing Manfred has said that I, I actually if – there, if there's one comment he's made that I really liked, it was his acknowledgement that it is his office's job to consider how all these strategies employed by these GMs who just want to win one more game impact the higher-level product. To this point, I don't think anybody can say that he, they've made drastic changes to really counteract a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't – I. I think I'd be in favor of, of, of some. I just don't know what they would look like. But like he knows the issue is there. And then it's a matter of legislating it. And that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that is a, a difficult one. Right? I, think legisla- I think legislating it would be really worrisome. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a t- that opens up some real questions. Yeah. Like, I don't like the three batter rule, even though it's like that's, that's the best example so far of what yeah. they've done. And, yeah. And that's supposed to, like, correct something that I don't like, which is, you know, matching up and too many. But I don't like it. I don't like interventionism in the sport. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a small government baseball fan. Like,. I, you know, like I'm a reactionary <laughs> baseball fan. I, there's, there's nothing to be done about. It. I can't think of any um, changes I would like, but I feel like there, there has to be some way to, if the, if the alternative is a product that is increasingly less enjoyable, because of all these aesthetic issues, because you lose these different elements of the game, speed, whatever it might be, balls and play, etc. If, if the choice is try something or just let it continue on this path, uh, I might, I might go for big government and that 
I don't know. Choice. I just don't know how you. I don't know. But I don't know how you do it either. I I have no solutions. Yeah. I'm just a reporter. I complain. <laughs> I don't actually You're offer any questions. fixes. Correct. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't right. have any cures. He's just an epidemiologist. Um, right. Like right. You, I, yeah, I don't know what the what the right answer there would be. I, I I do think like there's, you know, and I hate to say it, but like when I hear the broadcasters whining about the like the, the aesthetic value of the game right now, they're not totally wrong. You know, like they're, they're, yeah. I mean, the difference is that the difference is that they're paid to like celebrate the sport. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Whereas like I'm not, so like right. I can be like, oh my god, like we're in hour three of yeah. this, and the Dodgers have walked nine times, and they have zero hits. This sucks to watch. Yeah. Um, I mean, I but, like, to, I'm to not... be fair, I think it gets better in the playoffs just because the stakes are high, and like the players are better, like the teams are better. So yeah, no, but I'm literally talking about last night's Dodgers game. <laughs> <laughs> like it was excruciating. Uh, well, you know? I watched the Yankees strike out eighteen times. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it's it's yeah. Not sure what the, the solution is there. Hey, speaking of things that we don't have solutions for, uh, what is to be done with the Astros? <laughs> what, what, you, you, don't all jump in at once. Are you well, just I mean, trying to say you want to off them? Like, what? What? To what end? What do you mean? Well, like, I guess what I'm wondering is that uh, mostly I'm just trying to figure out what my column should be if they happen to advance. <laughs> uh, this is a workshop because, now. Well, yeah, we're we're just rapping here. Yeah. Uh, I guess what I'm I'm struck by is just they are they are not exactly playing the heels, but they are not reasonable underdogs, and it makes them very difficult to fit into the sort of conventional sports writing tropes. Aren't they the heel? Like How to, are they not the heel? Uh, because well, I mean that it just depends on how you view heels. There's multiple different types of heels. The the modern heel is a bad guy who knows he's a bad guy. Uh, the more classic mid south heel uh, from the you know 70s and 80s <laughs> is someone who's a bad guy who thinks he's the good guy. Um, so they are perhaps doing more of a you know an IWA uh, type of you know Bill Watts style heel. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's challenging. It presents a lot of challenges because what happened during the attitude era, as you guys know, is that the heels became cool. And so that is sort of our modern understanding of what heels are is that, you know, they're the sort of guy who flips off the boss and, you know, and says like, uh, you know, DTA, don't trust anyone or uh, you beer. Know, talk about bad. your Psalms, thump your Bible, you know, Austin 316 says, I just whooped your ass. And that was cool. Uh, I'm just going to do this for the next 20 minutes unless someone jumps in. Uh, but th th what happened was is heels became the good guys. Uh, so that we have a sort of misconception of how heels are supposed to behave in modern society. Uh, someone please intervene. Well, you sent me a million-dollar man hat, which I thank <laughs> you for, and I'm wearing it right now, speaking of like awesome heels. Um, I think what's pissing people off about these guys is that because they're not embracing – that um, you know, heel label that people want to put on him is that they're sort of saying, we're going to determine what you think of us. Yeah. And part of the consequence for getting pop cheating is that you forfeit that right for a while, that you are whatever people say you are, okay? And you just got to take it. And these guys are being kind of defiant about it and saying, no, we're going to move on. We're just trying to win today's ball game, which is a crock. Right, but I think like it adds a layer of of wanting to hate them, 
even more. Like, I think people are like kind of struggling with how to respond to that because all they know is that they have this impulse to dislike these dudes <laughs> and uh, all of these keep winning. And it's, it's it's sort of like infuriating people even more the way that they've repelled this heel label. Yeah. In about. some ways it's hilarious. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's very, but, it, but it also like, it gets back to the, um, the sort of unanswered, problems with the investigation and sort of the you know the what the narrative set forth by the commissioner's office was and i guess what a lot of people in the industry feel like were the the sort of lack of repercussions for uh the you know basically everyone except for uh aj hinch jeff lunau alex cora and you know via proxy carlos beltran and it it really sort of it, it it gets back to the sort of the unsatisfactory nature of this, like the fact that there wasn't a you know a postseason ban, or that the, all the players I guess were able to you know have uh, collectively bargained immunity, and and it just sort of it it's almost like seeing them get back to this point reminds fans how helpless they are, and that in sort of determining what happens with the sport, I guess. But more probably in the simpler thing, like it they're still good. They've somehow found a way to still be good in this system, right? Like they sneak in and they're dangerous. And like, I think Oakland's a really good team and they've just straight up outplayed them to this point. So like, just to add on to all of that is the fact that, um, you know, George Springer's still pretty good at hitting a baseball, it turns out, right? Like it's, uh, Carlos Correa is still a good ball player. Like, and that is just, there's like this, this circle that people want to close, right? People just want to bury these guys and, and they're not participating. Right. Right. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're they're just not not even not even a little bit, which is hilarious. I think on both sides, so you have this group of people who think the Astros who are who are unfairly persecuted, and then you have the the rest. Probably the majority of people who think uh, that they they deserve everything they've gotten, and so you have both groups looking to this postseason to somehow uphold truth and justice and fairness. And, and, And what I kind of maybe unfortunately come back to with postseason play and, and and have for a long time it's i just i don't know that how much you can prove in this like let's say the astros win okay wh- what have they proven that they didn't cheat no they cheated D- they've proven <laughs> that they're still a good baseball team yeah nobody denied that they were a very very good baseball team that probably could have won world series without cheating we don't know whether they would have because that's impossible to know uh so what you know what what are we taking away from a sub 500 team in a 60 game season getting hot in the middle of October? Is it really anything more than that? I don't mean to be it's, that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. I don't think it is much funny. more than that. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is what happens when you expand the postseason. Yeah, this is what happens. Right. It's very funny. It opened the door like, for him, man. Like, it's, it's it's this is like this this is how unintended consequences work. <laughs> yeah, they they shouldn't keep this. But what do they want to go down to fourteen for next year? It's you know, it, it, it just uh, makes I, everything yeah, feel I, more meaningless, as though it didn't already yes. feel meaningless enough. You know. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean it. It, this is how unintended consequences work. These are you know the sort of nightmare scenarios that I think. Uh, are possible and like look like i i don't mean to 
like cast any aspersions on the Astros outside of what has been reported, which is that they were caught cheating and, you know, and kind of have to deal with the, uh, you know, the, the fallout from that. Like, I don't, I don't want to say like these guys are bad people or like, you know, casting them as heels, I think is just a way of like dressing up this sort of false construct of a sport we have, uh, with some sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, imagery or stagecraft that we sort of understand. It's probably problematic that, you know, uh, American life is degraded so much that we just judge everything by pro wrestling. But, uh, you know, I'm the one who canceled my WWE network subscription this year. And what have you done for the discourse? Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think it's, uh, I don't know, like after they won in the first round, I, I just thought it was funny. Like, it's like, Hey, this is nice. Like the, you know, the Astros are back and like, you know, this is a goofy thing that's going to, you know, get people talking and generate interest in the sport. And I think, I don't know, maybe it's just like, I'm following the wrong people on social media or something, but the vitriol seems like still pretty nasty in a way that was like, Oh, okay. People aren't over this. All right. Well, you know, what are you, what are you going to do to the, to the extent we have narratives that like we can latch on to, the Astros are more than any other team providing a narrative. So uh, if that is our criteria, then they are I mean, arguably as important to these playoffs as anything. Yeah. Yeah. And cheating and is good. Is the lesson here, children? <laughs> I wouldn't say that, Charles. And in, you know, in defense of narratives, I mean, I believe it was Joan Didion who said, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. I mean, that's how we sort of navigate modern life as we tell things through stories and so uh, yeah of course fictions, we're, man come on of course well but it's not fiction but but it's not it's not it's not a fiction it's it's you know we're trying to find a uh, you know a story to explain what's happening uh it's simple as that and the narrative and and the astros make for a very very challenging story because they're not fitting into the sort of conventional tropes that you know we're used to you know because while they may be doing the I just, I just think they're villains. I don't, I don't think there's any complexity to it beyond that. I mean, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just don't. Uh-huh. I, I, I think you might be overthinking it. Well, but they're not behaving the way we expect villains to behave. Right. If you've, you've Correa standing up there and going, everybody's mad at us and, and look at us now and chest thumping. I mean, you know, that's the Joker standing at the top of the bell tower taunting Batman. I, 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 I see that as pretty clearly the. The villain's role, even though I, I would yeah. say Carlos Correa is actually a relatively nice guy from my personal interactions yeah, right, with him. Right, but he's, he's a very nice young man from from everything I, you know of all my interactions with him. Yeah, it's uh, that's uh, whatever. It's complicated, and uh, they'll probably you know advance this week. They are the obvious favorites, and that will put them four victories away from their third pennant in four years, <laughs> which is just how Major League Baseball drew it up. Hey, uh, Evan. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to make it here on the show. You are uh, potentially welcome back. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Mark, any final words? Anything to look forward to for the rest of the week, baseball-wise? Uh, I'd be curious to see how the Yankees get themselves out of this little mess. And, uh, yeah. you know, the, the Oakland A's exercise demons to survive for like three more days. So that's cool. <laughs> um, oh, poor Frank Carrig. My God. Yeah, no, dude. He's so mad. My brother is so mad. Like, you know what he did the other day? 
like I was like, we were, the game was on, and I said something. He's like, why don't you just keep your East Coast shit to yourself? I'm like, <laughs> man, like it's like if I want any Yankee takes, I'll text you. Otherwise, leave me alone. What like, is uh, what is Frank's uh, what is Frank's like main issue with the A's outside of playing poorly? Is it just execution, or does he have philosophical? Uh, no, I just, uh, I mean, honestly, I think he's on board with how they conduct, like, you know, how they run the team or whatever. I, I think it's just, he's sick of watching a good teams just not advance, you know, like, and, and, and he's watched this over and over and over again for a really long time. So I think he's just over that part of it and decided to lash out at me uh, yesterday or two days ago. Yeah, yesterday. So anyway, yeah. sorry, bud. Hang just, in there. I just think their lack of sort of elite hitters is really... It just it shows up in the postseason, but well, like um, you can only operate that way, and and for so long, and, and then you, like I, I think yeah, like that's that's ultimately that's what it comes down to, right? Like you still got to have some scary people in there sometimes, yeah. and like they, you just don't have that. Chapman yeah. going down is a killer for them. Their infield defense is not nearly as good, and I know he wasn't what he was normally at the plate, but like you have to still account for him. He's a threat. And not having is, that hurts. But, but there's no one like Judge. There's no right. one like Fernando Tatis. There's no one like you know Mookie Betts. And and this is obviously you know like that's that's tough. It's tough yeah. to find those sort of players. Or Randy but, or Rosarina even. <laughs> Randy or Rosarina, yeah. But even you know like Brandon Lau. There's no one at Brandon Lau's level in right. there. Lineup, you know, so and I think not having that just sort of offensive superstar, it's it makes things really challenging. Yeah, it catches up. But you can still you can piece together 95 to 100 win teams because they're so well run. And, you know, they they always produce in the aggregate. It's just when you get to October, you know, the lack of elite talent becomes a little more noticeable. Yeah, Frank's tired of the aggregate at this point. (laughs) He would just like to see some penance. That'd be nice. That would be nice. All right. Well, we will be back next week. Thank you to our good friend, Evan Drellick, for stopping by. Check out his story in The Athletic. And, yeah, we'll be back next week. Have a good one. 